0: Good morning, everyone. So, um, how many of you ex- except the preacher sometimes needs to hear things twice or do things more than once for it to go down sinking lane? How many of you are like that? Well, I'm happy that I have many friends with me today. You know, um, yesterday when, uh, you know, uh, when I just, I, had done, I was done with, you know, putting my message together, uh, because I, I missed last Sunday, I decided to listen to Pastor Ben's message because I wanted to be sure what he said and to make sure that I follow up with, uh, with what was going on and the move of God that was in the church. And uh, when I listened to his message, he was like, this guy is preaching my message. <laughs> and I, so I was wondering whether to go back and to change some things. Then I remembered that there are some of us, like me, who needs to hear some things a little more than one time? <laughs> how, many of us, how many of us understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, and sometimes we need to do things a little more than one time for, it to, you know, for, it to, for us to catch up with it and for it to catch up with us. So if I repeat some things Pastor Ben said, probably in other words, uh, you know, don't say, well, he's just saying what he said last week. However, you know, uh, we are in the very last uh, sermon on our series, Shift. So remember that we, on the first week, I remember Mike was sharing with us on transformation. You know, Pastor Ben shared with us on development. And last week he did, he did uh, go through resistance. And today I'm going to be talking on advancement. Um, and I like the way, uh, you know, Pastor Ben kicked off the other time when we were on the development message where he said that shift was just a very nice way of talking about change. Since many of us freak out when change is mentioned, so he said, you know, we look for a subtle word, we call it shift. And so that was just some kind of way to coax you into not running away from church, he said. (laughs) And so I am glad to be able to follow through with that. But the truth is that the only constant thing in life is change. The only thing that doesn't change is change itself. In fact, if there is anything that you can rely upon, there's anything that you can count on, anything that you can bet your life on that it will happen is called change. That is the only thing that is a constant. Everything in your life is something else. Change is real and we cannot avoid change. We cannot run away from change. We can only embrace it, work with it, collaborate with it, and hopefully let it do something in our life that is positive. But we are not just talking about change, we are talking about change that keeps us ahead ahead of the, the curb, change that takes us ahead, Ta- change that causes us to advance and become all that God wants for us to be. So we know that change is necessary. And all of us know that change is even needed, but none of us seems to want to change. Change is always a very, very difficult thing. Believe me or not, I have made my professional fortune, if you will, in research, just investigating the subject of resistance to change. Yes, Uh, for the last seven years, if you look at my research publication, it's always been about how people react to, how people uh, uh, deal with the subject of change, whether individually or in organizations. So if you look at, or, you know, if you go to Google Scholar or you go to all of those different outlets, that is what I write mostly about. And since I'm in the area of technology, I talk about resistance in the specific area of technology. But believe it or not, it's a very juicy topic. Because change is hard, change is difficult, and how many of you have uh, do you ever struggle with change, except the preacher? Or how many of you add to the preacher? You see, hands are up. So again, I have some people I can preach to today because I myself, you know, wrestle with the subject of change. But a 2012 Harvard Review article identifies the top ten reasons why. People resist change. Okay, and this, I think Pastor Ben touched on this last time. One of them is loss of control. None of us wants to feel like we don't have a control over what we are doing. You know, all, each one of us has, wants to have a sense of autonomy. I want to be the one to determine my fate. I don't want someone telling me what to do. I don't want situations, circumstances determining how I walk. So we, don't, we want to have a sense of control. And so when something that is going to put us off balance comes in, what do we do? We resist. We don't want to. Also, uh, people have problems with change because of the uncertainty it creates. Now, change is about uncertainty. Because when you begin to unfreeze and then to flow, and then to, before you freeze at one point, what happens? It's a change. You don't know what you can expect. And so because of uncertainty... Uh, people don't know how to deal with change. Have you heard about the statement that says that a better the devil that you know than the angel you don't know? It's, 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 it's a difficulty about change because, again, you are familiar with the circumstances, even though they are horrible, you like the horrible than the terrific that you don't yet know. So, we settle for the horrible, even though there is something called terrific, just because. We want to be with the devil we know so well than the angel we don't know. That's it. You know, it's uncertainty. Also, it's sometimes what we call the surprise, surprise element. You know, many of us don't like surprises. We want our world to be predictable. We want to be able to say what will happen. And when we feel like it's not that predictable, we resist it. So sometimes the reason why we don't do certain things is just because we don't want surprises. We just want things to be predictable. One of the things that makes, uh, again, change difficult is that change makes everything different. Um, Now, I, I I would bet you that if you walked into church this morning and the walls were painted red or white or the chairs were all changed For all the time that the worship is taking place, you will not be worshiping God. You will be wondering, but why did they change these chairs? But why is the wall white? Then why is the screen the other way? Why? Because change just looks different. Change is about difference. Also, people resist change because of a loss of faith. Because change means that we are departing from what used to be. Change means that we are moving from the past. And so because things look differently, we sometimes want to resist it. Sometimes it's just concerns about competence. When things change, it, dem- it demands us to also change. And because of that, we are, we are wondering, are we competent enough to handle that next level? So sometimes it's a concern about competence. Sometimes it's because change needs more work. You know, how many of you know that uh, when you're as your child is growing up and they are a little baby and you are looking at, oh, this cutie and all of that, and they become teenagers and... Uh, suddenly there's a lot of more work. Uh, I, I, didn't say that to, I didn't say that to my children. I didn't say that's not what I was saying. I wasn't talking to my children. I was not saying anything of that sort. Um, and sometimes it's just about the ripple effects of change. You know, because sometimes change happens in one area and it doesn't stop there and it has repercussions on other areas of our lives. Now, if you were used to going to work at uh, 9 a.m. in the morning and then suddenly the change was made that you could start work at 6 a.m. in the morning, it's going to affect not just you, but the entire family. So the problem is why we resist it is not just because it is changed, but because of the ripple effects that it can have in other areas of our lives. Sometimes it's just because of past resentment. You know, we are dealing with stuff from the past. You know, have you ever... As, Has a a change ever come up and you look at it and say, this looks familiar. Last time, it did not go so well. And because of that, you have already made your decision that you are not going to change because of the past. Are you familiar with that? Anybody except from the preacher that is familiar with that? And sometimes change is threatening. You know this so it, change is very uh, sometimes very tyrannical. You know it's like a dictator. You know comes and just and you're just afraid of change. You know it threatens you. But maybe sometimes because of the pain that it would bring, or if you're in an organization, sometimes it's because of the politics that happens in the organization. Because when change happens, some people become better and some people become, you know less you know less than what they hoped to be. So change is again as a topic that is it's always very frightening to really deal with. So in order to go past the resistance and to make change possible, we must defeat resistant tendencies. And I think Pastor Ben spoke so well about it last time. So in general, people must do a kind of cost-benefit analysis and, and think to themselves, you know, what are the costs of making this change? And if the costs are more than the benefits, What do you expect? There will be no change. And the the benefits have to be extremely, fabulously, extraordinarily big for some of us to ever, ever, ever consider to change. So for some of us to shift, it would take that the benefit is just as good as heaven versus hell for us to ever make a change. But that is what makes people to change. The fact that they look at the benefits and the benefits outweigh uh, the the cost of changing. But I want us to also think about it this way. And sometimes that change has to be in an area that is important to us. You know, sometimes you look at something and you could change and you just say, well, that doesn't really affect my life very much. I'm not really bothered with that particular aspect of life. And so we kind of just let it go. Now, we're going to read a passage from the Bible from Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. So while you're preparing to get there, let me just give you a little background about this passage. Now, the book Exodus itself is about shifts. It's about change. The very word Exodus means movement. So this is where God's people are moving. So that shows you that right in the very second book of the Bible, after Genesis, after the beginning, there was a move. So I can guarantee you that no matter wherever you are starting, you will be required to move. You will be required to shift. You will be required at some point to change, to make change possible. So in Exodus, the Jews are shifting from slavery into freedom. And I love the worship of this morning. You know, sometimes uh, I don't think that we can ever appreciate the, you know, the, the worship that goes on in our church like I do, I don't know. But, you know, every time, you know, you come, you are beaten by the weak and you are feeling low and you listen to this world. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. I don't know, when you sing those and you sing it to the Lord, you know, doesn't, doesn't it just begin to bring things in perspective? That's why I love our worship. That's why I participate in worship so much. But it's, about, it's a book from, about how people move from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to Canaan, from scarcity into plenty, from hopelessness to a place of hope. The book of Exodus is all about movement. It's all about change. Remember the Jews had received a promise. God had come, you know, said to them that they would be strangers in a foreign land called Egypt. And that after several years, in fact, after 430 years or so, they will come out of their bondage and they will come to a land that God had promised them. That land, the Bible says, was going to flow with milk and honey. And so the time came when they really had to move. So the passage where I am going to read is when they have already left Egypt. And then they are, and and as they left Egypt, uh, the Egyptians did not want them to leave. So Pharaoh gathered all of his army and they were following the children of Israel and they were pursuing them. And then but the, 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 what, where the intrigue is is that they came to a place where there was the Red Sea before them and the Red Sea is really a sea. <laughs> and behind them there was, there, was, there was Pharaoh and his armies. So they could not move ahead because there was a Red Sea. There was a natural physical barrier. They could not swim across the Red Sea. But then, when they turned their backs, there was a Pharaoh, there was an enemy pursuing them. So they were caught up in that, in that atmosphere. They were already on their way, shifting, changing. but However, they were encountered by this situation. So let me read what Exodus chapter 14 from verse 10 says. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there, were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, like most of us will do. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord or the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch your, out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 21 Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry ground or dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. What a story. What a story. You see, there are typically three reactions when we are caught up in our trouble, when we are about to make a change. There are three tendencies that naturally come up. There is the tendency to look back and that was exactly what the children of Israel were trying to do. They said to Moses, is it, not that, is it because we lacked graves in Egypt? Is that why we are here? Is the desert the best burying ground? Is that the most highly prized uh, graveyard that you found for us? What's, what's the matter with you? They said, "You. it was better that we stay back in Egypt and that we be slaves than that you should bring us to where we are right now. So most of the times when we are going through trouble, we want to go back. We want to go back to our previous state. We don't want the change. We want to look back. And when we look back, we will want to go back. How many of you know that if you are driving and you keep looking by the side, that is where you will end up? We naturally begin to move towards where we constantly are looking. That's why you have to watch your eyes. Carefully rise what you see. Heard that song in Sunday school? Uh, So we have to watch for that. So the tendency is to look back. That is why the people were looking back. They said, did we not tell you, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. Did we not ask you for that? So in spite of the fact that God had promised them a land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, in spite of all of those promises, somehow because they did not want to advance, they did not want to embrace God's plans for their lives, they felt that it was better to stay where they were. But there is another way to look at this. Moses looked at it differently. So when we are faced with a shift, someone to look back, but Moses asked the people to look up. See what Moses said. He said, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. And he said, these Egyptians whom you see today, your enemies that you see today, he said to them, you will see them no more. So Moses was calling them to look up. To look up is to look up to God. To look up is to depend on the Lord. He says, look up and see the deliverance that God himself will bring to you. So when we are in that state of moving, we have to be able to come to a place where we begin to trust God, where we look up. Not look back, but look up. Because when we look back, we are discouraged. When we look back, we see our enemy pursuing. When we look back, we are trusting in the power of our enemy. When we look back, we are frightened by what is happening. But when we look up, there is only hope that we can get. That's why the psalmist said what? He says, I will lift my eyes up to the hills from where my help comes from. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look up. But there's something better than look up. God wants us to look ahead. Look at the statement that the Lord said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to do what? To move on. Raise your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So the people wanted to go back or the people wanted to look back, Moses asked them to look up, and then God told them, look ahead. Look ahead. And the Lord said, no, Moses, it's not enough for them just to trust me and look up to me. I want them to advance. I want them to make progress, and let that progress be to go ahead. And it's only when they decided to make the progress that things began to happen. May I submit to you that as long as we decide not to make progress, we, situations and circumstances will stay the same. It is when we decide that we are going to follow what God wants for our lives, that things will change. Because only until when they decided to face the Red Sea, then we are told that the sea parted. We are told that the sea was rolled up on one side and on the other side. Think about it. This is unimaginable. The Bible says that they walked on dry ground. So until we, you and me change, the healing will not come. Until you and me change, the breakthrough will not appear. Until you and me change, the restoration will not appear. You know, I remember 11 years ago, I was standing right there by the carousel at the New Orleans International Airport. It was my very first time. In the United States of America, and though they, uh, the the you know you know New Orleans it was jazzy and there was the you know Louis Armstrong on the, in the background and everything, my heart was pounding inside, because you see, I had left my wife and our two children then back in my home country in in Cameroon in Central Africa, and I had come to the United States for to in pursuit of a graduate education, and all I had to my name was six hundred dollars. So how was I supposed to take care of the thousands and thousands of dollars of tuition and a stay-at-home wife back home and the children that were looking up to me? A year before that time, I was told that uh, it would be possible for me to get a scholarship, but just uh, a month before I could go to pick up my visa at the U.S. Embassy in Cameroon, I was told it it was no longer going to be possible. I remember coming back home and I was devastated and I was telling my wife, you know, the good news is I've got the visa. Now, the not-so-good news is where is the money? And I remember, her, you know, encouraging me that we are going to trust God. So we had, two, we had two options right there. We had the option of, you know, waiting for one more year for when openings will come up for scholarships or to take a step of faith. And as crazy as we are, and you can believe, we decided to take a step of faith. I remember three days before I, I could come to the United States, I decided to call one of my mentors. He, uh, Julius Sesuga, if you can remember him, he came here and preached one time. And so um, I, I called him up and said, please, I want that when I come to the U.S., I have one request. I want to spend my first night in your home because I have some stuff for us to discuss. And I remember he was so gracious enough, he would come pick me up at the airport. We will go to his home. It was a Saturday, so the next day we go to church, come back, have some good... Lunch, but what all? What is happening? My head is still not settled because six hundred dollars, thousands of bills to take care of. I was still wondering what was going to happen. And then I remember the next day I would tell him, explain to him all the situations surrounding my coming. And then he looked at me. He, you know, he, he listened to me patiently, intently, and looked me in the eye and with his with a wonderful smile, warm smile. He said to me, Madison. If God brought you here, make no small plans. I, can, I can't tell you about how these words transformed my life. Because out of desperation and out of just sheer you know, discouragement, suddenly a faith began to rise up from within. I began to think to myself, oh, so. Because, you know, I was sure that God brought me here. I I, I was sure that I didn't come here by my own strength. But now, what I didn't know was that if God brought me here, then I should not make my size of plans. I should let that God, I should believe God for God-sized plans. Because if he is the one bringing me here, then he's got to take care of his bills. He's got to foot his bills. And I am his son. I am his minor. <laughs> okay. So he has got to take care of me. And so I, and, and I began to think in those words. And these words will keep me through the difficult times of graduate school, when there was not money and when there was, I was missing my family. By the way, in three years, my wife will be refused a U.S. visa four times. And I will not be... And every time she goes to the embassy and comes back and get to get with her on the phone, and she will be crying, and and how my heart would just, you know, you know, like the first time, you know, I said, oh no, no, that's good, don't worry, honey, it's going to be fine. And you know, it happens the second time, it happens the third time, and at the fourth time, I almost got sick, you know. And in fact, there was a time when I packed all my whole my bags. I I was ready to go home and just forget about. Anything about education and all of that. But again, I remember these words. If God brought you here, make no small plans. And I began to trust God. And I said to myself, I'm not going to go back in terms of my mindset, not meaning meaning go away from my family, but not going to go back in terms of my mindset. And I decided I'm going to look up. I said, I'm going to look ahead to what God has. I'm going to trust Him for what He has. And I cannot remember the joy that it was for me to receive my children at the airport and it was like a priceless, priceless, priceless thing. that I've, The most priceless thing I've ever, one of the most priceless things, uh, event that I've ever been a part of. But then, but this is two graduate degrees afterwards, my entire family here with me, I can see that there is, it, it is good to trust God. It's good to rely on Him. It's good to look up to Him. Now here are three reasons why you should advance. Three reasons why we should advance. Number one, the future in Christ is bright. In fact, your future in Christ is so bright, you need some sunglasses. Or oh, please, let me even reverse that. You actually need, you know, the eclipse glasses. You know, the ones that we... Because it's so blinding, you know, you can't afford to look at it. That is how bright your future is. Remember the story of Moses when he came down from Sinai? after he went to, to talk with the Lord, the Bible says his face was radiant and the people of Israel could not behold his face. In fact, he had because they lacked sunglasses on that, you know, back in the day, I, I imagine, and uh, he took a veil and put on his face so as to keep the glory from shining. But that is how bright God wants to make our future. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts... That I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's what the King James Version says. But I want you to read to you another version, the Message Bible. Listen to what the Message Bible says. It says, I know what I am doing. How many times do you feel like God doesn't understand? Now, the, this is what he says, just so you know. It says, I know what I am doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you. Not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Probably the right question is, what are you hoping for? Because if you are hoping for nothing, guess what? You already had it. What are you hoping for? So that presupposes that we ought to be anticipating. We ought to be looking to what God has for us. Because he's going to give us what we hope for. We have to be ready to advance and to shift because the future is bright. But not only because of that. Number two, your past is cleansed in Christ. Our past is washed. How many times does our past try to stop us from moving into our today? So many of us live in the past, so much so that we haven't had time to come into today, talk less about, think about tomorrow. We are so preoccupied with our past. But listen to what each one of us that is in Jesus Christ, this is what has happened to your past. Look at Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. The Bible says, you were dead in sins and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. Then he, talking about God, he gave you a share of the very life of Christ. For he forgave all your sins. How many sins? All of your sins. And blotted out the charges proved against you. The list of his commandments which you, you had not obeyed. He took the list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. One of the reasons why we should advance is because our past is cleansed in Christ. Not only we have a bright future that we would need sunglasses and eclipse glasses, we also have a past that is washed away, it is cleansed. We were dead in our trespasses, the Bible says, but we have been washed. We have been cleansed. If you have given your heart to Christ, you have to know that God does not remember your sins. You know, there's something about God. He is all-knowing and there, there is nothing that is hidden from him. But when the God that is all-knowing says, your sins I will remember no more, it's a miracle. That the God who never forgets anything has chosen to forget our sins. Do you know that when you ask God for forgiveness, He really forgave you? Do you know that when you ask Him to come into your life, He really came into your life? You have got to believe what He did. And that is why we advance because we have dealt with the past. Let the past be past so that we can embrace our today and so that we can face our future. So, but not only your future is bright and your past is cleansed in Christ, but your today has possibilities. Your today has possibilities in it. In Deuteronomy, Joshua was talking to the children of Israel. In Deuteronomy 30, he said, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua was saying you have opportunities before you today. It says life and death. See, look at what, you know, one of the things you like, you've got to love God for is that he doesn't force you to do anything, but he will give you all the options. And yet in his infinite mercy, look at the counsel he gave. He says choose life there is life, there is death, there is blessing, there is cursing. He said, but choose life. This is my counsel to you. This is my advice to you. If I may advise you, I would say choose life. It's better because when you choose life, it will be good for you. It will be good for your children. That is what God wants us to do. He's asking us to choose life. Today is full of possibilities. Today is a choice day. Joshua also said in Joshua 24 and verse 14 to 16, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods that your forefathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And in verse 15, this is what he says, and I want you to listen to that verse very carefully. He says, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel, said, you have wonderful opportunities today. The opportunity to serve the Lord your God. The opportunity to make him Lord and King over your life. So I am wondering this morning, what is your decision going to be this morning? Will you believe God for the bright future that he has for you? Will you trust him that the, for a washed past? Will you choose the opportunity of life eternal today? What are you going to go with? But this morning, I am just asking myself, the plans that God has for you and me are great, but are we willing to embrace those plans for our lives? God wants to be able to take our lives and help us. Forgive our sins. Cleanse us from our sins. Heal us. Whether it's relationally, whether it's spiritually, whether it's things that having to do with even our finances. We have a God who wants to intervene in every area of our lives. I told you how I came to the United States with $600. But today I have a little bit more than that. And when I was finishing my graduate school, my PhD, I calculated, one day God just said, get up Madison, I want you to think, I want you to see what I have done. And I got up and I began to put together cent by cent and find out how much I had. God had brought my way and it was more than 150,000 in the years that he had. Been. From $600, he, made, he provided to me 150,000 plus in my tenure as a student. And I looked at it and said, God, I'm going to trust your plans. He has bigger plans, not just for me. He has bigger plans for you. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your situation. There was a time I was waiting. I said, when will my family ever be here? But they are all here. There is a God who cares about every detail of our lives. Can we trust him this morning? You have a bright future. Your past is cleansed. Today is filled with opportunities. Can you take an opportunity? Can you seize the opportunity? Can you bow our heads? Can we bow down our heads? Just think about what we have heard. And if this morning, you feel in your heart like, I have to make, I have to advance. I have to go ahead. I have to to move forward from where I am standing now, spiritually or otherwise. I have to give my heart to Christ. I have to trust God for my family. I have to trust God for this sickness, this disease, this situation. I have to look up to God in my particular circumstance. And you just want to say, Lord God, here am I. Lord, just deal with me and just do what you want to do and just bring me into the future and the plans that you have for me. If that is what is in your heart wherever you are just say yes lord yes lord to your plans yes lord to what you have for me and as the praise and worship team begins to sing and just worship the lord with us if you don't mind just wherever you are whether you're in the hub or here in the main sanctuary just want you to move ahead to the altar and just and just begin to surrender your life to god there's there is something that happens when we surrender to God. Great things begin to happen. The Bible says except a grain of, of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it, said it, will, it, will, it, will stay, it will stay just a seed. It will stay alone. But if it dies, it will spring forth and it will bring, bring forth a tree and that tree will give fruit and the fruit will have several other seeds. But there is a need for us to surrender to God this morning. So if you have something you want to surrender to God, it could be spiritually, it could be financially, it could be your health, it could be anything. But I believe there is grace this morning for God to accomplish His plans in our lives.